This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible healthcare for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we are joined by two leading executives from EdFX. EdFX is a company that provides market-leading technology to its payer and health systems customers. They serve nearly 300 million people in the U.S. healthcare market. They're working on creating enablement to unlock greater value by aggregating, normalizing, and unifying data. They have a best-in-class interoperability platform. They're out there really trying to eliminate friction at the point of care so providers can accelerate their adoption to value-based care. So our two guests this week, uh, first we're joined by Venkat Kavarthapu, Chief Executive Officer. He's been with the company for quite a while. He's had, He has a successful track record in building and scaling multiple product lines, and he leads EdFX's service and product line support across business units. He's there out there really advocating and collaborating on and building solutions for exchanging data, reducing costs, maintaining compliance with industry regulations, and ultimately accelerating the adoption of alternative payment models through innovative software solutions. Joining him is Dr. Summerpaul Kalong, Chief Medical Officer for EdFX. He's an advocate for the advancement of an integrated healthcare analytic platform. He's out there engaging stakeholders across the continuum to promote adoption of value-based care. He's an internal medicine physician. He has expertise with infectious diseases. He has a deep background in healthcare strategy and leadership. Listeners, you're going to enjoy this episode. It's definitely one that's very technical. It's very important. We have to figure out how are we going to unite the ecosystem through the power of data interchange and interoperability. So so without further delay, let's now hear from Venkat and Summer as they join us this week in the Race to Value. Venkat, Summer, welcome to the Race to Value. It is so awesome to have you on the show this week. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Eric. Well, this opportunity for value-based care transformation is really important for the future of our country. I mean, it's a way we can create a more sustainable patient-centered and higher-performing system, and interoperability is that enabler 
of value-based care. You know, it unlocks that seamless flow of data between health systems, providers, payers, and empowers them to collaborate and innovate for the benefit of patients' health and health outcomes. And we simply have to move from this basic information exchange to apps that will use the whole portfolio of interoperability capabilities. And however, much of the market is struggling to implement the necessary infrastructure to meet federally imposed interoperability guidelines like those in the CMS interoperability and patient access final rule. I mean, there's concerns about limited implementation time, lack of expertise, as well as all the logistics to really achieve truly secure and reliable patient data exchange. And it's left a lot of these organizations stymied. And while healthcare interoperability arguably has become an industry buzzword over the past decade, I mean, the concept's importance for digital health transformation cannot be understated. I mean, the benefits of interoperability you know, as our listeners know, I mean, in an idealized state, you know, it can improve care coordination, it can reduce administrative burden. It also supports public health surveillance and population health initiatives that are so critical for value-based care. So I wanted to see if you both could provide our listeners with your perspective on why interoperability is the foundation for value-based care and why it should matter to all stakeholders in the ecosystem. I mean, how should our data systems evolve you know, across the financial, administrative, and clinical realms to fully realize the goal of interoperability? And how is edifex positioned to serve as a trusted partner for those that are implementing interoperability solutions? Yeah, so very well stated, Eric. Uh, so we all know value-based care is the direction the industry is headed. And there is no question these days that that is a better path, more sustainable path, and the only path forward. When, how, and how quickly is really the question. Value-based care has three, really notionally three most important tenets. First one is through value-based care, the individual care and experience can get better. The overall population care costs and outcomes can become better. But more importantly, or equally important is the participants in the overall ecosystem, the organizations, their path to being sustainable, more profitable is also important. We have to balance all these three as the industry is going through this transformation. This requires significant amount of data and information exchange across all participants in eventually ensuring that the member is getting the right kind of care. For improving patient experience, you need access to administrative data. Do they know what they're going to pay for? Is their experience through navigating the overall complex healthcare system easy enough? For improving quality of care, you of course need access to clinical data. For improving the organizational health, as you are navigating through changing the model in which you are getting paid and reimbursed, you need access to financial data. So, True value-based care participation in the industry can only successfully be accelerated if information is available to all of the entities across all three dimensions, clinical data, administrative data, financial data. This is really possible only if interoperability becomes a core mechanism through which organizations operate. Uh, by interoperability, you know, inter interoperability principles have existed for a long, long time in the industry. It's not a new concept introduced by value-based care. It's at the core of interoperability. Are you 
exchanging information based on well-defined standards and protocols. So the two organizations, when they exchange information, they talk in terms of the same uh, transaction terms, and there is no confusion in terms of what a particular transaction means. If you're exchanging a clinical diagnosis document, or if you're exchanging a claim or an enrollment document, everybody knows what it means, and you're not spending an inordinate amount of time just to interpret the information. Uh, interoperability will also ensure that the information across organizations and between systems is exchanged without a lot of friction, which means that you're not putting a lot of human capital and or a lot of technology behind just moving information from one stage to another stage. The information is exchanged based on true trust, privacy, and security. After all, we are talking about data, which is healthcare, which really the right of the data is with the individual member and it has to be handled with that utmost care. It requires workflow and integration across variety of systems, processes, and organizations. And it also requires ultimately semantics and taxonomy, which everybody is able to use and interpret in the same way. And where I'm going with this is these kinds of concepts and mechanisms have existed for a long, long time in the industry. And they have become core principles which with the industry can embrace and operate value-based care models. However, the pockets of uh, technology and pockets of interoperability has caused a significant problem in the industry. Um, I'm sure um, uh, our customers would agree that if you go into a mid-size to a large health plan or a health system, roughly every health plan or health system has access to basic information which we need for uh, for executing a value-based care program. But the having the information at the right place at the right time with the right quality is a problem which interoperability could relatively elegantly solve. Uh, if you go into a health plan, you would see that a single claim is stored maybe eight to nine times within the healthcare system in various repositories. So there is information silos across the industry. Um, there is information silos within the industry. This increases cost because now you have technology costs. This increases uh, the amount of work which you do around this data to first ensure that the data is of high quality and relevant data because about 25 to 30% of expenditure today in using data is spent in making sure that the data is accurate and data is of high quality before even you act on this data. The last challenge which the industry is facing is a number of entities now have to come together to collaborate to work towards value-based care. The intent exists, the common goals exist. No longer are we talking about, is there a payer and provider collaboration required? We are only talking about how can payer and providers collaborate better and better. The customers I meet with, customers perhaps some are meets with, uh, whether it's uh, payer leaders, provider leaders, pharmacy leaders, regulators, everybody has the intent to collaborate. Everybody understands what needs to be done. We are here to, provide technology and support on how this can be done. Interoperability is a core of how this can be accomplished. When two organizations are aspiring to impact, let us say, a particular aspect of care, maybe improve certain, uh, certain quality metric, which eventually translates into better care for a member, they all should be looking at the same kind of information, which is very timely, very complete and available at the point where action can be taken. Interoperability provides all three. Today, rules exist, standards exist, protocols exist, technology exists. Adoption is where 
we are lagging and adoption is where the intent exists and technology can make the adoption that much faster. The way we look at interoperability is interoperability and the standards and the regulators driving interoperability is not a burden on the industry, but a true competitive advantage for the industry. I, I know at the beginning of the, the question, you alluded to the point that, hey, well, let us say the CMS interoperability mandate or previously any of the other mandates, they impose a certain administrative burden and cost burden on the industry. The goal is that the administrative and cost burden should eventually be less than the benefit to the industry, which is what interoperability truly provides. That is, you spend as an industry a few million dollars to embrace all of the standards, to embrace all of the uh, APIs which are being prescribed. If it takes out 10 to 12 times that cost from the overall ecosystem by reducing the system cost, by providing information at the right point in time, by reducing the amount of human capital required to just be, to do basic tasks, and by ensuring that the quality of care is improved by providing the right candidate at the right point in time, you truly have a successful outcome. This is what, at the core, we believe in, our customer partners believe in, what interoperability can bring to the industry. And interoperability in our perspective is at simplest term, just embracing and adopting standards, protocols, and technology to exchange information with least amount of friction possible across systems and across organizations. Summer, anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Bankit. And you know, Eric, I'm sure you've got some pretty strong opinions on interoperability as well. It's kind of been the white whale of our industry for as long as I can remember, and you know, we're still trying to solve for it. And you know, I'll I'll pull a few threads out of what Venkit mentioned. One is quality, and then the other is just being able to build on that data as communication. So interoperability, really, for me, is a means to an end. You know, being able to push data from point A to point B is really the beginning. What we're really trying to do in healthcare with the interoperability framework is to have a meaningful dialogue, you know, communication that drives good patient care and good outcomes. And, you know, when I think about, you know, kind of how we got here, back to the idea of redesigning care in this context of value-based care, you know, a lot of people long for the idea of, you know, once upon a time when I had my neighborhood doctor who knew everything about me and took care of everything for me, life was so much easier and better. But, you know, we've had so many advances in medicine and healthcare as a whole that we've become a very fragmented system by necessity. We have a lot of incredible resources that are out there, new procedures, new medications, specialists, subspecialists, you know, centers of excellence, people who really have a, a strong core competence. But because of that, you know, we have a, a, a large, complex, and relatively fragmented healthcare delivery ecosystem and so when we look at interoperability, really in many ways, to me, it's about communicating. And it's it's funny when you think about healthcare is probably the only industry left where everybody still relies on faxes. Faxes are still kind of the standard of communication between different entities. And I think we're the last industry that still leans on the idea of pagers. And even if we don't physically have pagers that often anymore, just the um, the cell phone version of pagers, you know, and really what it boils down to is communication. And, you know, like Vinkit alluded to, it's the nuance and the detail in the data, as well as the idea that the data is complete, accurate, and reliable that really matters. And so if you put that in context, 
you know, think about if somebody comes into an emergency room, it's almost better to have no information at all and start from a blank slate than to have bad information and make, you know, potentially, you know, life and death decisions or highly impactful decisions based on bad information, incomplete or just wrong. And so when we look at the idea of data quality, it, it's more than just a technical term to say that we're focused on data quality. It's really important that the information be delivered in a timely, accurate, and reliable way. And that's one thing that's very important for us at FX. It's not just pushing data from A to B, it's pushing the right data in a reliable, accurate way so that when that data is received and even more so acted upon, it's accurate. And you can make comfortable, good decisions around patient care based on that without a lot of rework or questioning or even poor outcomes. The, uh, the second piece I'll mention, you know, one of the things I've been impressed by with our company is we have a strong core competency in natural language processing and AI. And when you think about that idea of moving data, you know, again, and it's not just about moving data from A to B, it's about communicating. And so I think about the facts and we kind of ridicule facts as, as being archaic and a little bit ridiculous. But the reality is that facts allows us to move not only the sort of fill in the blank structured data, you know, here's the lab value, here's the medications, but also put in a, a little bit of context and background, free text, so to speak, to be able to say, well, here's the context of this information. Here's what it means. Here's how you take action on it. So someone receiving it on the other end gets it. It's not just about a black and white lab value. There's some descriptor that says, ah, okay, this is why it's important and why we need to go ahead and you know, approve this medication or, you know, pay for this bill or, you know, um, approve the uh, the specialist visit, it, it becomes a better method of communication than simply pushing, you know, blocks of structured data back and forth. And so that's where at EdFX, when we look at building upon this idea of interoperability, we're really good at getting reliable, high quality data from point A to point B. But then as we start to apply some of our expertise, in being able to apply context and communication and make it easier and streamlined for people to understand, oh, I get it. Here's why I need to approve this. Here's why it's easy. And I can do this in seconds instead of days. That's where we really start to make a significant impact in terms of interoperability and the quality of that interoperability experience. I think as an industry, we're always trying to improve the connectivity we've got. You know, There's plenty of room for improvement there. Um, and obviously, we are constantly working to connect more points and, and integrate more data. Um, but again, as we do that, it's important to make sure that the data that we're connecting is valuable, useful, and impactful in a way that makes people's lives better, cuts down on cost and rework and time spent and delays in getting the appropriate care to people. I think that's a really important principle for us when it comes to interoperability. Well, there's one aspect of interoperability I wanted to ask you both about. I mean, we've been hearing about improving the prior authorization process. You know, CMS had a proposed rule that went into a comment period uh, late last year. And, you know, if it is finalized, it's going to be in compliance by 2026. And, 
And this proposed rule would require payers to include information about patients' prior authorizations in a patient access API no later than one business day after the payer receives the request. And this would really help patients understand their payer's prior authorization process and how it could impact care. You know, it could reduce payer and provider burden associated with the process. And I know edifex has been working to leverage AI technology and existing EMR integration to transform the prior authorization process. Could you explain how your company is uh, designed to be at that nexus between payers and providers and helping both stakeholders integrate into a framework that includes EDI processing, you know, fire APIs, AI machine learning, natural language processing, and all of that? And, and then how does your position right now in terms of creating an accelerated solution for meeting all of the future needs of fully automated prior authorization at the point of care? So yeah, Eric, I think prior auth is an area that's of high interest in the industry, back to the idea of being just more efficient and effective. And I, I think if I if I look at it from a health plan perspective, you know, I, I think they've been vilified to some degree with the idea that they're just blocking care by the use of prior authorizations. But I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, and I, I still recall a conversation I had years ago with a health plan executive where he said, you know, I, I don't really actually wanna have to do prior authorizations if I don't have to. What I really want to be able to do is clinical decision support. You know, I have access to information that perhaps the provider doesn't that helps really say, here's what the best care is for this patient at this moment in time. And so when I look at some of the things that we're doing around prior auth, and I'll let Vinkit share a little more about, you know, some of our core competencies in EDI and NLP that are driving this. But when I look at what we're aiming to do, it really does not only streamline the process so that it, it cuts down on the, the time spent, you know, submitting and reviewing these prior offs, but also the time lost in terms of actually delivering the care. But it starts to really move towards this ideal of having prior authorization be something more like clinical decision support, where we're using that combination of EDI and NLP to say, here's what we're aiming to do. And it's not just a black and white, you know, yes or no, do it or don't do it. I will allow this or I won't allow this as a health plan. It, it really opens up the doors for the health plan to say, you know what, let me help you provide care that we think can be mutually beneficial to this patient, to this member. And I, I think that's really the, the opportunity overall in this transformation towards electronic prior authorization. And I think if we, we look at the spirit of it, certainly it's extremely important to cut down on the administrative burden, reduce the expense, reduce the, the time wasted in sort of working on these as a relatively manual and, you know, facts-driven, as we were talking about before, process today. But I think also, you know, being successful and taking advantage of the opportunity here is to say, can we do more than just what we do as a fax today and do it as an electronic transaction can we actually use this digital medium as an opportunity to improve the conversation and move more towards this ideal of clinical decision support? And I know, um, you know, Venka, you've been with the company for a long time, and obviously the EDI and NetFX is uh, a core part of who we are. It's a core part of our identity. So I know there's a lot of things that we hold as core competencies that we're really applying here that I think can make us, you know, really effective out there as the industry looks to adopt these kind of solutions. Yeah, so when we look at a particular aspect of uh, industry process, the way it affects uh, and most of my team looks at it is, is this a problem large enough where we could potentially make meaningful difference? 
is the industry ready for a intervention here? Because a large portion of our role is to truly enable our customers to make the difference. We are not disrupting the prior auth process. We are providing the technology which will make the prior auth process that much more efficient so that our customers can really focus on the business of taking care of their members and their health. Today, prior auth is roughly less than 30% automated transaction as compared to any of the other transactions which take place in healthcare, like whether you take claims, eligibility, enrollment, payment, every other transaction is operating at 90% or higher automation level. Like Summer was saying, there is a popular belief that hey, industry intentionally is keeping it manual because it helps uh, in better utilization management and so on. Every customer leader of ours, whether it's from a health system, from a pharmacy, or from an insurance world, I have interacted with, they all want a better system. Better in this case is a balanced system which brings in value of automation and removes the administrative burden and the friction which exists in this process. And that's how we are approaching uh, a solution to this problem. Can we provide technology at the physician end where the burden on the physicians today, which roughly is AMA estimates is of the order of uh, uh, 12 to 14 hours every week apparently, uh, can this be significantly reduced so that the physicians can spend more and more of the time in providing better care to their members? So that's part one of our technology. So using our NLP AI and the integration into the physician workflow, which we are able to do, uh, part one of the solution which we are currently providing is to make sure that the, 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 the necessity and the act of initiating a prior auth and sending it out is as automated as possible without requiring multiple hours of investigation and rework. So we scan all of the patient history, we scan all of the uh, payer policies, and we prompt the physician to say, here is the circumstance because of which prior auth is required and physician at the click of a button, you could initiate this prior auth, whether it's a nurse practitioner or physician. And the prior auth transaction then flows through in an automated manner to the to the payer in, in standards based transaction, which ensures automatic compliance to whatever mandate, which is going to come as you alluded, Eric. On the, on the payer end, we want to automate once again, uh, the act of uh, providing that prior authorization. And really it's about clinical decision support as uh, Summer was saying, and it's not just about blocking a prior authorization. So making it easier for the physician, for the payer to make a decision instantaneously or even automatic manner without adversely impacting uh, whatever metrics they are driving towards in terms of utilization management is the, the solution which we are trying to provide to the industry. Our aspiration is that prior auth can also be driven to a high 90s type of automated transaction, takes away a significant amount of uh, administrative burden from the industry. The technology exists, the regulatory framework is almost there. The intent of course uh, does exist in the industry. And as the industry moves more and more towards value-based care, the whole prior authorization process, as we all know, will continue to transform. A lot of prior authorization burden itself will start disappearing as you're going towards more and more gold carding or the authorization itself moves closer to uh, physician organizations who are managing large volumes of population on, on behalf of the payers. Uh, but that is going to be a multi-year transformation, as we all know. Value-based care has been around for a decade or so, and perhaps uh, will take several years of transformation. So there is still a need to automate this transaction, 
and push it from a low 30s automation, below 30% automation to a high 90 automation to take the administrative waste out of this process. That's what Edifex is focused on using our technology. Well, Vincat, you mentioned the friction that's often apparent at the point of care. And, you know, it seems like often technology, you know, gets the blame for that. And, you know, we see providers that are often leery of newfangled technology solutions in the medical space. And and I know a lot of that has to do with their prior experience with EHRs. And, you know, it's so contrary to how they embrace technology in their personal life. I mean, assuredly, most physicians have the latest and greatest smartphone, wearable device, entertainment system, you know, in their home. And this Friction really, I think, comes about because of the environmental factors of the clinical setting, like having to get a pre-authorization, being obligated to transactional patient encounters, fragmented care delivery, onerous billing and documentation requirements at the point of care. And what I love about value-based care is that it has this promise of reimagining our healthcare system to one that is tech-enabled and high-touch, patient-centered, holistic, and integrated. But that innovation can't fully reach scale because we, we see providers having to balance the FFS and VBP models. I mean, you know, the the, the literal balancing of two canoes and fee-for-service and value. And I wanted to see if you both could discuss the challenges that are facing providers to adopt technology and embrace innovation in an environment where value-based care is relatively nascent with full APM adoption. I mean, it just hasn't reached a critical mass. I mean, are there examples where technology can help providers overcome the operational disparities of fee-for-service and value-based care and promote collaboration and alignment and transparency and really the shared commitment to provide consistent patient care regardless of the payer source? Thank you, Eric. So uh, fundamentally, care is personal, uh, as we all know, whether you use fee-for-service model, whether you use value-based care model, whether you use risk adjustment model, or any of the other multitude of models uh, which are emerging or have been in place for a while. At the end of the day, the care decision is made by a care provider in a care setting, which a member experiences firsthand. So the, the real challenge which provider organizations are facing uh, from my perspective is that they should be making the care decision which is in the best interest of that member without being burdened by the model through which their organization is operating. At, at the end of the day, we have to take that challenge out of the decision-making criteria for the physician. When I meet with physician practitioners, when, when you have somewhere on the call here, uh, the intent is, hey, I don't want to be making a decision based off of whether it's a fee-for-service member or a value-based care member or a risk adjustment member and so on and so forth. And technology truly is the only way you can scale these models by providing the right information to a physician to make a decision at the point of care which is not masked by the financial model through which that particular organization in the context of that particular patient is enrolled into. That said, it, the reality is these are organizations uh, which have to a certain extent financial motives as well, and that's the nature of the industry and there is nothing which uh, will change that in the, in, the, in the near future. So all of the models and the technology which we are providing is to enable the organization to balance all of these. As I discussed in the past, uh, value-based care truly has a financial aspect, has a overall population health aspect, as a individual member aspect. The, the physician organizations who are at the core of influencing how this care is delivered and are embracing value-based care are 
truly not the organizations who are experts in managing risk. Insurance companies are experts in managing risk. After all, insurance is partially a business of managing risk, right? So the the goal, the only pathway, the way we look at it is to provide technology through which decision support can be provided to such provider organizations that enables them to make these decisions for better care, where when rest of the peripheral aspects of value-based care are masked away from the decision-making and happen upstream. So if you have a, a population which is in risk-bearing contract and it's another set of population which is in fee-for-service and a third population which is in true value-based care or maybe capitation or whichever model, the systems today exist, some of which we provide, some of which our competitors provide, some of which our customers already have, collectively to provide the information at the point of care for the physician to make the right kind of decision. So all of the information is processed, analyzed, and the right prompt is provided to the physician in their point of care system. That's the ultimate goal, which all of us have, right? That the physician doesn't have to go away from system to system to hunt down information to make the right care decision. Some are uh, alluded to this fact that if you have a patient in an ER, he would rather not have any information Perhaps a portion of it is because of the complexity and the lack of trust in the quality of data. So truly enable such decision-making in the context of a member, which eventually influences the decision at an aggregate level, at a population level, and at an organization level. Providers need systems and technology to participate in the value-based care revolution, which is already all upon us. The collection of systems which us and our competitors and our partners provide is a path towards providing physicians and care providers with that capability. No one organization can solve this problem. This is way too big, way too pervasive, way too complex, as we all very well realize. As regulators and industries embracing interoperability, it makes it easier for information to flow between and across organizations, between and across systems. As technology evolves and as we embrace AI, NLP, machine learning, and other aspects of advanced technologies, large volumes of data which is being generated and exchanged across these organizations can be distilled and information can be prompted at the point of care. The impact of a particular decision can be analyzed and subsequent decisions can be changed based on how the impact is both to the individual, to the population, to the enterprise. And this is really what will make the, the, the future state organizations, whether it's a, a, a provider-led health plan, whether it's an ACO, whether it's a community-based organization or any, any of the organizations which are now evolving to embrace risk, without fully having the capability to manage the risks which they are embracing, unlike the, the peer organizations who are experts in managing risk. Yeah, thank you. That's very well said. And I think Eric, for your listeners, the only little bit that I'll add there, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, a lot of the opportunity with technology is enhancement of communication. And, you know, I, I think about a lot of the, the friction with EMRs and, you know, physicians entering notes and information in the EMRs these days. And, you know, you, you hear all the time about, you know, physicians being frustrated with data entry and that kind of thing. But if you look at what are notes, you know, why did we even start doing history and physical and soap notes, you know, years and years ago? 
it's communication. You know, those notes allow us to tell a story about what's happening to a patient, not only tell that story for ourselves so that we can keep track of what's happening, but also to tell our, our peers and our colleagues and establish a historical record. And then, you know, again, kind of translating that out to the broader industry, those notes tell the story of what's happening with that particular patient, either in a moment in time or longitudinally over a stretch of time. And that, that really helps us communicate when done effectively. And so you see a lot of friction out there with the idea of, you know, physicians resisting the idea of a lot of direct data entry, wanting to do, you know, sort of voice to text or using scribes or, or third party systems. But a lot of that becomes the feeling of constraint in being able to communicate. And then, of course, on the technology side, we always lament how much data is in this unstructured format that it's very difficult to get to. And it, it limits our ability to have not just point A to point B interoperability, like I mentioned earlier, but to have that richness of context and get into a lot of that really interesting data that lives now in these sort of unstructured blocks. And so if you if you look at it from both perspectives, you know, for the physicians, they're trying to tell a good story. And that story is crucial to good patient care and communication across the entire ecosystem, including with myself as the provider, so I can keep track of what's happening and the evolution of my patient's care longitudinally. But, you know, I think that's where for me, NLP holds a lot of promise um, because it allows us to continue to have storytelling in our notes. It continues to allow the data to provide context. But then that NLP for me really becomes that translator then to say, okay, well, I don't have time to read a, a five page note. And I definitely don't have time to read a, a 500 page stack of notes on every single patient. But using NLP, we can more efficiently extract out those bits that are crucial and reconstruct that in a way where, you know, we don't just get sort of the black and white interoperability, but we start to get that context as well. Hey, yeah, the creatinine is elevated, but it's because this patient was dehydrated and now they've been rehydrated and we expect it to improve. It changes the context of, you know, what's happening with that patient versus just here's an abnormal lab value. So for me, I think as we transition into value and we look to enhance communication through technology, NLP is really, in my mind, going to be front and center to helping improve communication. Well, you know, I'm thinking about technology uh, also in its role in improving population health, and it seems like we might be at an inflection in the value-based care movement. I mean, we have this new ACO reach payment model that could accelerate value transformation. It increases incentives for collaboration. There's greater accountability to reduce health disparities in underserved communities, and participants can choose between professional or global risk sharing, and their financial success hinges on the provider's ability to more effectively you know, contract appropriate rosters, risk models, financial terms, and have quality guidelines in those arrangements. And there's a lot of different nuances of ACO reach and contract design and administration. And while that's an inflection point for value, I can't help but think it's also an opportunity maybe for uh, further enablement of technology in the, in the space. I mean, uh, I understand EdFX has a, a population uh, payment management solution that, you know, helps these ACOs through the technology target and design and minister and audit and optimize all their value-based initiatives. And, you know, it helps them with clinical risk and SDOH data sets. It provides them some what-if analyses on medical costs and, you know, helps the ACO set performance expectations and monitor their progress 
progress. So I wanted to see if you both could discuss the key capabilities of, of your population health platform and how does technology ultimately help ACOs and risk-bearing entities mitigate their financial risk through the provision of real-time insights and business intelligence? Sure. For the longest portion of our existence, uh, longest period of our existence, we were really working with uh, the the peer ecosystem in the country for maybe first 15 years of, of the company. Uh, over the last 10 years, as I was di discussing at the beginning of the conversation, there has been increasing degree of uh, collaboration between peers and providers. There's been increasing degree of understanding that to collectively solve the biggest challenges facing the healthcare industry, peers, providers have to come together and to push the industry towards true value-based care model. I was alluding to the challenges which this model transformation poses to the business model of each of these entities. After all, insurance is uh, the risk transfer and the, the mitigation of financial loss in case a risk materializes and the expertise lies within the industry, within the insurance industry. As we move more and more towards uh, value-based care, some portion of this risk, of course, has to be transitioned and transferred over to organizations who are stepping up to embrace this risk, whether it is uh, ACOs or whether it's risk-bearing entities. Uh, through, and the reward systems and the regulatory framework which government is putting in place through ACO REACH and other programs, the previous version of that, is to encourage and reward for embracing this. But you cannot embrace it unless you understand how to optimize when you are operating in this new world of value-based care. So our goal through our systems and collaborating with all our customers is to provide the information to entities which are embracing this risk, whether it's uh, ACOs, whether it's RBEs, whether it's uh, CBOs, any of the organization, if they want to embrace risk, we want to be able to provide technology through our customers, whether it's payers, whether it's other provider organizations, to embrace that risk. Today, if you even look one to two years ago, uh, there were uh, models in place, but a lot of those models were operating on really batch-oriented uh, insights, which means that the payer organization would process information over a month, then send a bunch of PDF reports uh, to the provider organization in terms of how they are performing on the metrics they collectively uh, the embraced to operate upon. Then it takes inordinate amount of time to pour through these reports, then make corrective actions in terms of how the, the whole program is performing. Uh, there is general industry acceptance to towards moving this more and more towards real time. Uh, some of our largest customers are working towards that to exchange information. Interoperability, of course, plays a key role in this. AI plays a key role in this, especially to analyze and operate on unstructured data like Summer was mentioning. So our goal is to really provide a system which allows organizations which are embracing risk, particularly peers and providers also who are embracing risk, to understand what it means to embrace this risk and what it means to thrive in the world where they have assumed risk, whether it's financial risk or whether it's risk of uh, managing health for a particular population. So uh, today's systems and technology exists. We want to make it easier for these systems and te 
technology to integrate into the ecosystem which already exists so that it doesn't become yet another large massive IT project which takes multi-years to deliver these uh, kinds of solutions. So whether you look at some of our interoperability solutions or whether you look at our population payment management solution or whether you look at uh, some of our other risk adjustment solutions, the intent and the goal is to really provide information at fingertips of decision makers to take actions on those. Can we distill all of the information surrounding a, a population? Can we distill all the information surrounding a particular patient and their clinical records, their claims records, their eligibility records, their social determinants of health records? Can we overlay this in terms of all of the care guidelines and also the, the, the medical policies and care pathways and prompt the physician through technology to make the best decision possible for that member? which eventually translates to better care, translates to better management of financial risk for that organization. And also, can you operate it at scale so that it doesn't stay as an experiment, but if you are a mid-sized to a large health system or if you are a small community-based health organization, you are having equal amount of technology access to embrace this risk. And that's really what we are working towards. Uh, we are the technology provider to enable this transformation. Our customers are the true enablers and winners of, uh, of bringing this uh, sea change in the industry. And thank you. I think you said it really well where, you know, this is a moving target in terms of the transition to value and the development of alternative payment models. And it's a good thing that it's a moving target. You know, we're learning from older models like the original, you know, pioneer ACO type models or the early bundle payment models. We're learning and as an industry, we're adapting. So like you touched on the REACH ACO, that's a, a brand new model, you know, that really represents a significant evolution over some of the early ACO models in Medicare. And hopefully it'll be successful as we continue to evolve. And so I, I think as you referenced, one of the keys here is that there is constant innovation in this space in development of new alternative payment models and, and new sort of value-based care arrangements. And those are driven not only by payers adopting their, their own unique strategies, but also by providers who are looking to be innovative and looking for opportunities to just completely rethink how healthcare is delivered. And one of the things that I've seen quite a bit the last couple of years is this convergence of what traditionally were more sort of polarized models. You had more sort of primary care-centric models like the patient-centered medical home or some of the early ACOs. And then you had more sort of specialist-oriented programs like bundle payment or procedure-specific retrospective programs and a lot of shared savings. And I think there's been this evolution now towards full risk, prospective payment models, capitation, that sort of thing, but also towards you know disease carve-outs and niches. So you know, focusing on, on patients or members with kidney disease and doing a great job treating those people, uh, focusing on those with other high cost chronic diseases like inflammatory bowel disease. You know, we've seen more and more evolution of models, again, sometimes driven by payers who are looking at strategic opportunities, but also by providers who are coming to payers and saying, I have some ideas and I wanna rethink the standard of care here and the payment models that allow us to be successful. I think when I, I look at kind of the capabilities that we offer, one of the challenges of being in that innovation environment is that it's messy. It's inefficient and messy. 
by nature. And, you know, the more we can add some degree of consistency and standardization to that process, the more we enable our customers and the broader industry, not just to be successful in the models they operate today, but to set themselves up for the models that they are considering so they can be successful in that transformation more broadly. And what I mean by that is really, you know, number one, having a, a platform with enough breadth to be able to accommodate not only all that spectrum of existing models today, but some of those new models that may come into play in the future. It's important to have a, a broad foundation that allows a um, payer or provider, you know, whoever is, is looking to sort of create and operate these models, the opportunity to operate off of a, a consistent base, consistent access to information analytics and the data that drives success there. I think the second piece is that it's important that it be relatively automated and efficient. And, you know, obviously we all want to have some degree of efficiency, but it's crucial when we talk about these value-based care models, typically they operate on a firm calendar from January 1 to December 31. So, you know, it's one thing to, to conceive a new contract and to go ahead and sign a new contract for a new APM, but you're on a clock and it's important to have efficient, reliable systems so that in that messy process of innovation, you at least have something reliable that gets you a successfully operated program as early as possible in the year. So you can really see what the outcomes are, because sometimes these programs are going to be highly successful and we want to scale and reproducible. Sometimes they may not work out that great, but we need to learn. And to learn effectively, we need to know that we had reliable data and we had that reliable data for enough period of time to make informed decisions about whether we want to pivot, amend, or even just abandon this particular APM and move to something different that can be more effective. That's where I think, you know, having a, um, a strong, reliable, comprehensive platform becomes important, not just being efficient and operating what you have today, but creating that foundation for innovation and new APMs going forward as well. Gentlemen, I wanted to also ask you about the the future of AI. You know, we we've talked about where the value based care movement is going and how technology is so fundamental to really achieve that level of transformation. But there's so much happening now in the tech space that is eclipsing you know our ability to redesign our system. But you know, we see this explosion of Chat GPT, for example, where we're seeing generative AI emerge as a, a a tech offering that can transform opportunities across society and in healthcare, it can certainly uh, provide some level of efficiency and effectiveness. You know, it could help us extract valuable insights from data. You know, I, I love what Edifex is doing in terms of using AI uh, within your uh, risk adjustment platform. You're using AI-derived insights in your uh, proprietary uh, NLP engine to, to really help uh, providers identify and address risk. I mean, it's a great tool. Um, you know, seemingly there's other opportunities as well where, where we can leverage AI to build predictive models for the most vulnerable patient populations and have algorithms to guide strategic approaches for deployment of 
care management and interventions for those patients that are in the highest risk segments and, you know, sort patients based on risk level, identify clusters of need, you know, everything that, that goes into driving a, a successful population health model. I'd be really interested to get your take on uh, how AI is going to uh, proceed in the years to come. I mean, where are we going with AI and healthcare and how will that empower uh, progress and value-based care? And, and to the extent that you could also share any additional updates with our listeners about the work that edifex is doing and uh, to leverage your AI solutions, I uh, would love for you to hear a little bit about that as well. These days, uh, you cannot have a conversation uh, without AI being mentioned in the context of any and every problem being solved. And frankly, as a company and as an individual, we are even more optimistic about the benefits which AI can bring to solve some of the deep and complex problems of healthcare. There are a phenomenal amount of this phenomenal amount of work happening in leveraging AI for various aspects of healthcare. Of course, our expertise is limited in a particular aspect of healthcare, which I will speak to. There is AI being used in drug discovery, in personalized medicine, in disease diagnosis, in risk prediction, in image processing. I mean, all of us are experiencing uh, virtual health assistants, which come with their own uh, significant amount of AI to prompt us into healthy behaviors and so on. So uh, absolutely, uh, that from a consumer perspective, I see AI transforming the way care is delivered and the way health ecosystem can truly leverage from using AI to improve health. Edifex, on the other hand, is laser focused on a particular aspect of healthcare, as perhaps uh, our, our uh, listeners would know. Uh, you know, we are focused around the administrative processing optimization of healthcare. Uh, if I were to just uh, give a context which all of us are familiar with the size of healthcare spend in the country, $4 trillion, of which a trillion dollars is being spent on administrative transactions alone, uh, administrative expenses alone. Of the trillion dollars, generally industry agrees that about $250 billion is truly wasteful spending, which could potentially be taken out of the system. Uh, roughly 250 to $275 billion is really greater than what Medicare Part A spending is in the country, right? So you see, you, you with administrative optimization, leveraging interoperability, AI, and workflows, the industry has a potential to take out costs, both today's costs and costs which will continue to increase in future and totally fund Medicare Part A. So that is the level of uh, opportunity which is in front of us which technology, the intent which our customers have can uh, can uh, bring to the industry. Um, for example, even if you take a simple process like enrollment where literally several billion dollars is spent using AI and especially with the direction in which industry is moving towards uh, especially higher Medicare Advantage enrollment, higher administrative services-based enrollment, you could deploy all aspects of AI technology in even simple things like benefit self-selection, personalization, even fraud detection, document verification, and so on and so forth, and truly continue to reduce at least 25% of administrative transaction processing overhead, which currently exists in the system. This is really the area where edifex is laser focused on in bringing technology to our customers. And our view is and just like uh, many of the, uh, many of you would agree, 
is that AI is not a standalone aspect of technology. AI is best used when it is invisible to the end user. If you're using, let us say, an Android phone or an iPhone, there's more AI in that than perhaps any other device uh, which uh, uh, you would have used in the recent past, but you don't experience it. AI is best when it works behind the scenes, makes it easier for the end user to make decisions and doesn't become its own thing when you are providing a solution. Uh, that's uh, really our focus, to use AI behind the scenes to make the process of every particular interaction that much easier, that much cheaper, better, faster. And we are very optimistic that uh, uh, some of our uh, competition, our customers, everybody is coming together to deploy this at scale. Uh, lastly, I will uh, make one more remark before I ask Summer to comment on it also. See, today, the amount of information which exists is more than what perhaps even could be stored in the world's storage capacity three years ago. Uh, some studies indicate that the information being created out uh, is bigger than what the storage capacity of the industry was even three to four years ago. So what it means is that we are not suffering from lack of data and lack of information. We are suffering from more data and more information, which perhaps causes more confusion and requires us to bring in more and more technology to manage this plethora of information. About 25% of spend is truly dealing with lack of quality of data. And at the beginning, Samar alluded to how as a physician, he wouldn't really like any data. So AI has a role to play in reducing administrative cost by at least 25% to the tune of 25% to help us manage all of the data, take the noise out of the data and the wasteful spending which happens today in the industry in terms of managing volumes and volumes of data being generated, reduce information silos, provide the information at the point of decision without the individual truly understanding and realizing that, hey, there is a massive amount of air learning which needs to happen, work seamlessly behind the, uh, behind the scenes so that it cuts down the time to actually making that decision, which eventually is the decision made in the context of a care setting by a physician in the presence of a member. So that we are very optimistic and we are bringing in these technology to whichever aspect which we take to our customers, whether you take even age old basic HIPAA transaction processing, whether you take our risk adjustment solutions, whether you take our alternative payment solution, and even some of the newer solutions which uh, Summer and some of our product team members are really exploring and experimenting on. AI is core to where we think the, the capabilities of industries can be accelerated that much faster. Summer, anything to add? Yeah, thank you. And I think you articulated uh, a lot of great points there. And and Eric, you know, some of your listeners may share my my cynicism when it comes to AI and healthcare. You know, I I kind of roll my eyes a little bit every time somebody gets excited about some crazy new AI that's going to totally replace doctors and totally replace any um, you know any need to sort of make decisions in the process. You know, and I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of promise for AI in healthcare. It's really about how we apply it and apply it effectively. And so Eric, you referenced uh, risk adjustment earlier. I think that's actually a great example of an effective use of AI. So if you think about the use of NLP and AI in a risk adjustment environment, you know, if you look at the unstructured data, like I mentioned earlier, that lives in a variety of notes and other sections in the chart, 
you know, it's a bear to try to go read all those notes, even if you know what you're looking for, and especially if you don't. And so there's a, a huge sort of human resource waste that occurs there where people are physically going out and pulling charts, reading those charts, looking for information to help them glean which information is most valuable in terms of appropriately documenting and, and setting the level of risk present in a certain member of population. So when you look at the application of NLP there, it's a great example of not just automating the process, you know, where now, you know, you, you don't have to have a person physically read every page and chart to find the info. You can have a machine do it where, you know, you can, you can do it in seconds or minutes for a single chart versus, you know, hours, um, you know, that a person would do it. But also, you know, as you look at the idea of productivity, you know, one of the big bottlenecks in, in really being effective at risk adjustment is the idea that, you know, those humans can only read so many charts at a time and only do so many things in a day. Um, and so not only can you reduce the administrative burden by, by reducing these chart reviews instead of months to do a, a certain batch of charts, it can take hours. Um, but also, you know, you're increasing the productivity. So the same person can now be responsible for a thousand charts instead of a hundred charts, you know, and, and that scale means that you can be more effective at documenting across a larger swath of your population instead of being limited to a, a relatively small focused subpopulation uh, based on financial and administrative constraints, human resource constraints. But then I think if you take it a step further, I think this is where it really, again, sort of opens up a potential promise. You know, I was just talking yesterday to our head of AI at FX, and, you know, we were talking about how we can improve the um, accuracy of our NLP. And he pointed out one thing, which I think is important and not often discussed, is that, you know, this is a, a human process that we're looking to automate, and humans are imperfect. And he pointed out statistically that set aside AI for a minute, if you just have two different human coders looking at a batch of charts, statistically, they only agree about 85% of the time. So, you know, you, you have 15% that's actually not even agreed upon consistently from one coder to the next. And so when we think about how we can generate more efficiency and automation, that consistency factor also becomes important. So now we not only are reducing the sort of administrative burden and, you know, the resources required to do it, but we can actually make those individuals more effective by having a more consistent approach and saying, okay, well, we've got a, a standardized approach. And so, you know, we're going to be gleaning these things and presenting to you. And so we can start to address that 15% um, that, you know, is sort of inconsistent from one coder to the next and make those coders more effective in addition to being more efficient. And so I think, you know, that's one example of uh, the application of, of AI in healthcare in a focused way that can be very effective. But if we think about that more broadly and translate those principles, to me, that's, you know, when we look at this future transformation into value, any of those areas where we can look to capture efficiency, productivity, consistency, and effective output those are the places where I think we can really make a significant impact in the short term, leveraging AI. And, you know, one day we'll get to those more sophisticated Star Trek type AIs, you know, where we ask the computer and it does a, a full analysis and tells us what's wrong and gives us a chance to move forward on the patient care. 
but my my just personal feeling is that stuff is a little further out and um and won't really impact lives today but the kind of things that i mentioned with risk adjustment those principles if we take those principles and apply those principles in other areas that are more immediately impactful to members and patients today right now i think that's where we can really make a difference and and deliver them value um you know we talk about improved patient experience improved quality of care and lower costs you know tripling uh, that's where I think AI really represents a lot of promise today now that we can make an impact that people feel. So, Venkat and Summer, it's been great to be with you. And what I hear is uh, a sense of pragmatism about uh, having the realistic expectations with technology. But most importantly, there's this sense of optimism that we can leverage technology and and truly make our healthcare delivery system better. And I think that ultimately comes down to the recognition of an obstacle versus an opportunity where you have the right attitude. And, you know, it reminds me of this quote by Albert Einstein, you know, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. I mean, we have to see the problem with clarity. We have to decide on the solutions that are going to open up the new pathways for resolution. And ultimately, we must lean heavily on innovation to see our way out of this stagnant, ill-designed, and structurally flawed healthcare system. So as we wrap up our conversation today, you know, uh, for our listeners out there who are leaders in value-based care, I would love for them to hear from you maybe uh, uh, some some inspiration around, you know, how we can uh, uh, use innovation as our compass to guide transformation and ultimately provide us with the inspiration to to really create a better healthcare system. And and uh, and ultimately, I mean, how do how do we, you know, think about the, you know, really getting to that fully, you know, realized, you know, star star uh, Trek state where you know we can have uh, this technology really creating improvement in the human condition. Uh, I would love to kind of hear your parting thoughts on that as we uh, close out our conversation today. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the opportunity today to spend uh, an hour uh, discussing some of the core aspects of uh, healthcare, just close to what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Uh, uh, from my perspective, industries to go through significant transformation require three or four characteristics to come together. Firstly, the industry should perhaps face a sustainability and existential threat with the existing model. Regulatory framework should push the industry towards a transformative model. Technology advancements should perhaps be ready to push the industry towards that. And lastly, consumer behavior should also start changing. And you've seen this play out in whether it's a, uh, even media and entertainment industry, retail, banking, every other aspect. And if you look at these four aspects, you see all four converging in healthcare as we speak, which means that it is just a matter of when and how quickly does the industry move towards value-based care, not whether it will. Every industry leader agrees, uh, every consumer agrees, and the, the the technology and the intent exist today. So I'm ever so optimistic, just as uh, many of our listeners would be, that we have the right direction and right path. It is, of course, uh, well understood that this is not going to be an easy transformation. This is not going to be a quick and uh, revolutionary transformation because after all it is healthcare and it is so personal as all healthcare is. So it will be a gradual and it will be uh, a slow transformation. 
without disrupting the equilibrium which exists today. And that is really the nature of the industry. So we should all not lose, uh, not be skeptical that, hey, people have been speaking about value-based care for the last decade. We don't see the kind of progress. Every single indicator indicates that there has been progress, there continues to be progress, and the industry is pushing towards this progress. What we will experience is a significant amount of experimentation, significant amount of agility, which is required for the industry to learn from previous models, just like you mentioned at the beginning about SEO reach, which is a second version or a third version of the SEO models which are emerging. But technology allows us to be that much more agile, to experiment, learn, and move faster without the adverse impacts of uh, of doing something wrong. And I'm really optimistic that we are on the right path. Summer, anything to add? Yeah, and then can I share that optimism? And, you know, Eric, what I, I mentioned earlier, you know, this idea of the opportunity to redesign healthcare, um, you know, to me, there's some people who talk about value-based care as being somehow distinct from fee-for-service or a, a different element of healthcare. Um, and especially sometimes we get too caught up on the alternative payment model as really the reflection of a transformation to value-based care. But really, to me, this transformation to value is, is really a broader transformation of the entire industry, the way Venkat alluded to earlier. Every single aspect of healthcare, healthcare delivery, healthcare administration, healthcare financing, whether that is contained in an alternative payment model or not, is out there ready to be impacted and transformed in a positive way. We've seen a massive revolution in technology, um, you know, in, in my lifetime for sure, but even more so, you know, a lot of the innovations coming out just even in the past couple of years continue to create immense new opportunities for innovation, transformation, and just making the system better. So, you know, I would encourage all your listeners out there to to think big about value-based care, but also think small. You know, sometimes there are things that are still pure fee-for-service, you know, same old healthcare, but by applying these principles of value, how can I deliver more value to the member, more value to the patient, more value to the provider? You know, sometimes there are opportunities for innovation that are relatively, you know, small, so to speak, in terms of the, um, the corner of healthcare that they impact but they can make a big difference whether uh, a member is in an alternative payment model or in a traditional fee-for-service model because it just makes the care experience better, more efficient, more effective, more consistent, better cost. Um, so I, I would encourage all your listeners to really think about opportunities that are out there as we pursue this transformation to value. Think about how you can sort of innovate in a way that you know, even if it's a small scale innovation, it makes somebody's life that much better. Prior authorization, for example, you know, that frustration of having to wait to get a procedure approved that you really need. Can we make that more efficient, whether you're on a fee-for-service model or an APM? doesn't really matter. We're delivering value either way. So I, I think as we look at this journey to value and this overall transformation of healthcare, I think what gets me really excited is there is a, an appetite and a willingness across the industry, whether it's policymakers, industry leaders, or just, you know, people on the ground getting seen in clinics every day who are saying, I want better, I need better. Um, there's an impetus out there. There's a conversation happening. And I think it's a great opportunity to take advantage of that and leverage the kind of technologies that are coming out that, you know, really give us a chance to rethink, hey, maybe there is a better way to do this. So I'm looking forward to seeing how we continue to evolve as an industry.
Well, I, I share in your optimism, gentlemen, and I, I can't thank you enough for uh, spending over an hour with us and, and really discussing everything that you're doing to accelerate value-based payment adoption and reduce friction in the healthcare setting so we can truly make healthcare better for all those that we serve. Uh, Venkat, Summer, it has been a pleasure to be with you this week on The Race to Value. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Eric. We enjoyed it. 